Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. And it's back down to just uh, you and me, Graham. So quiet and lonely in here. Right? It's so weird after being so popular. <laughs> it feels more normal. <laughs> it does. It's almost a comfort. Uh, well, today on Geek Top 5, uh, even though it's back down to the two of us, it doesn't mean you're missing out on anything. It just means we have all the more opportunity to zero in on the geeky stuff that means the most to us. Um, and playing on those personal violin strings uh, at the moment, a couple weeks ago, uh, we missed the initial announcement because of the, the episodes we had put together with guests, but we saw the announcement for a new Star Wars video game coming out. Uh, our expected release date is to be in October is Star Wars Squadrons. Now, is it just me or is that a very quick turnaround for a game announcement and release? Yeah, everything about the game so far seems like there's not actually a lot of meat in those bones, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, so though there there are some nerves. Um, the thing with Star Wars is that like that franchise was designed for you to want to be a part of it, and video games are one of the best ways to do that. It's it's something that ties into Star Wars so well, um, and it got us thinking. You know what? There are a lot of really good Star Wars video games out there. A lot of bad and ones, too, but I think we're going to focus on I said on a lot, that. and I left it there. <laughs> but there are ones that we like, and uh, if you haven't tried them, you should know what they are so you can. So what we've got today is we've got another episode of, I want to say, Dueling Lists, but because of the number of awesome games that we love on here, might not be Dueling Lists so much as complimentary, but our top five Star Wars video games. Maybe it's just egotistical of me, and I, and I assume everyone's going to have the same opinions as me, but I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of overlap here, but I, I'm ready to be proven wrong. I mean, let's find out. There are a lot of really good games. But, uh, I mean, yeah, hey, we, we don't need to keep beating around the bush. Let's <laughs> jump right into it. Graham, what is your, your number five best Star Wars video game of all time? Now, this game is going back a ways. It is... Probably older than some of our listeners. Rebel Assault. Ah, good, good, good choice. Uh, it's not on my list, um, but it's but close. There, but please yeah. tell, t- tell us a little bit about Rebel Assault. My my list was a constantly fluid thing, but and there were other ones that I had higher on here. And then as I was as I was preparing, I was like, I don't I don't feel as fondly about some of these games that I've got higher, which I think are probably objectively better games than this, but I just have very fond memories playing this. It came out in 1993, and it's a rail shooter. So what that means is that you don't really decide where to go. The the screen decides where you're going, and you just have to either move your ship or your character around the screen and shoot at the bad guys and avoid getting shot. So it's, it's fairly simplistic, but it has a wide variety of vehicles, and there's something about the repetitiveness of it and getting the perfect playthrough that makes it very addictive. It's also a pretty short game. Like, you can play through the whole thing in one sitting and then go back to the beginning and try again if you want. Maybe I'm well, exaggerating a little bit. you're good at it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was pretty easy to die in that game, as I re- recall. But, you know, I was watching some walkthroughs or playthroughs before, well, last night when I was researching, and it brought so many memories back. And it, I feel like... A lot of my 
knowledge of Star Wars came from it, where there's a run against a star destroyer and I you know you have to aim for the the shield generators and and I that's where I learned what the shield generators were on a star destroyer and that you have to destroy them before you can take out the ship and and I feel like I learned so much about life from that game <laughs> God the thing I remember most about that star destroyer mission is after taking out the shield generators you make the run on the bridge and if you miss it's like like you still beat the mission but it's just oh you didn't manage to destroy the star destroyer but at least you held it off in time and that was the most I was like that's it I'm turning the game off I'm turning it back on I'm starting again I'm gonna I'm gonna get that damn thing this time I mean like you had the one chance to get the perfect torpedo shot. The the first level you're on Tatooine and you're playing in these these sort of small uh, land speeder things. T sixteen Skyhopper. Right, right. They're like they're planes. They're more like planes than they are like like cars. And you're flying through this this passageway, this like Grand Canyon, and you have to take certain turns. And you're sort of Beggars Canyon. Beggars Canyon. Sorry, you're learning how to how the game works in those things. But there's different paths you can take. It's it's. I said it's a rail shooter, but depending where you were on the screen, it would either go one way or another. And I remember playing that level over and over again, trying to get it perfect, to the point where some of the rest of the game is a lot more hazy than than that first level, because it just was <laughs> like, restart, restart, restart. Oh, that was a fun one. That, and th- what you describe as being the rail shooter was a really big thing for Star Wars video games of that era. The idea of it, like, essentially playing a movie of a bunch of, you know, things, like, flying at the screen and shooting at it. And it's just, like, to progress the movie, you have to move the crosshair over here and pull the trigger in at the right time. Man. It was essentially the entire design... But it worked really well in the like the universe that Star Wars had established for itself. Like the way they've established in canon, okay, the bad guys have lots of little weak ships and you're in one powerful ship. Like that's perfect for that kind of experience. Yeah, and one of the things that I had forgotten about until rewatching this were the cutscenes where they kind of took still pictures or still images from the movie and then animated people's faces in this really crude way that wouldn't be out of place in in a late night cartoon show like it it wouldn't be out of place on robot chicken or something it just looks really goofy now but at the time i remember being like this must be amazing this is almost live action cutscenes <laughs> almost <laughs> And then there was a, a sequel, but I, and I was looking at that, and, and I just don't think I played it as much. And I think that's going to be a recurring theme in a lot of this, where I know there are sequels, and they probably got better, but something about that first taste really, really makes that first game more memorable to me. No, that's fair. I mean, Rebel Assault, I think, was my first, like, it was my first computer game that wasn't, you know, Minesweeper. Right. Or something along those lines. And, like, it was, like, I played it before I knew what Star Wars was. That was my gateway drug. And that makes and sense. And that, that sticks with you. It was, it, it came with my creative brand CD-ROM drive. <laughs> it, it was this brand new, it came with 16 X's. <laughs> Did you play Rebel Assault 2? It, uh, well, I mean, that makes a good segue into my number five. <laughs> okay, what's your number five? My number five is Rebel Assault 2, The Hidden Empire. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, came out two years later, same kind of game, sort of a rail shooter with a little bit of extra features. And honestly, like I did the same thing as you. I was thinking as Rebel Assault like for the nostalgia factor. Um, but with Rebel Assault 2, it's it's a much longer, much more involved, much more interesting game, and that's that, that's the one that sticks with me. Um, we can make this segment pretty short, because it mostly plays the same way, uh, but the differences are that, for starters, it had a completely original story. The, the original Rebel Assault very loosely, like, parroted Star Wars A New Hope. Like, you end up blowing up the Death Star, even though you're not Luke Skywalker. Yeah, it was a little... What is it, Rookie One? Rookie One. Yeah, in this one, Rookie One gets his own adventure. And all and you talked about the cutscenes before in Rebel Assault 2, it is actual actors filmed in full motion video in glorious, you know, 320 by 180 resolution. <laughs> that was a big thing at the time. Oh yeah. And, and let's let's face it, actors may be a bit of a stretch. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, they got a guy in, with a deep voice and a Darth Vader suit, and they had, like, the scrappy rebel pilots, and they did a lot of green screen, but they made a really cool thing. This game, the story of it, uh, starts where it revolves around basically the space Bermuda Triangle. In this case, it's the Triton Triangle. Uh, and it turns out that what's actually happening there is that the Empire is developing TIE fighters with cloaking devices. And the whole thing turns into a, like, you barely escape the ambush, and you report news of this deadly new technology to the Rebellion, and they decide they have to go and steal one and analyze it to figure out how it works before the Empire can unleash a cloaked fleet that will destroy the Alliance. It was a cool, interesting Star Wars story with that same uh, kind of rail-shooting game. Uh, and the full motion video made it, it seemed super cool at the time. Real actors. It's weird nowadays when like, act, like, major, like, blockbuster actors are now cast as characters in lead roles for video games. That's not how it was back in 1995, folks. I don't want to get on, uh, like, you know, back in my day soapbox, but this was groundbreaking to see faces at all. I would say the exception might be the Wing Commander games, which had Mr. Star Wars himself, Mark Hamill, in them, and, and I think. Wasn't Malcolm McDowell in them, too? Yeah, Malcolm McDowell's in Wing Commander 4. Um, again, that was, like, revolutionary at the time. Like, it was a big deal. Um, most of the time, you know, yeah. a lot of video games back then weren't even voiced, much less acted. We may be getting into some of that later in uh, in my list as well. Yeah. Um, so I could get along with it, but basically what I'm saying is so Rebel Assault 2, I liked it better than Rebel Assault uh, because it had more of a, it had more gameplay to it, there was more to do, and some more impressive stuff. Um, but like you said, a lot of it is on there for nostalgia value. Like, if you're interested, you can find it on Steam for like a quarter these <sighs> days, and you'll play through it once. Um, you'll probably get frustrated at some of the sections that don't control as well as they used to. Certainly not that they don't control well compared to nowadays. Um, and then you'll be done. It, it's probably worth more just watching it on YouTube, because so much of it is just someone playing a movie. But it's a charming part of Star Wars history, and I really liked it. So that's my number five. Okay, number four for me is another old one. Uh, it's from 1995. It is Dark Forces. Ah, that's he didn't. The original Dark Forces didn't make my list, but 
But yeah, this is a huge part. I mean, heck, I played that for the first time at your house, didn't I? Yeah, and that's partly why it ranks so high for me. It was <laughs> it was not often that in our group of friends I was the one bringing the new game for people to try. And so, like when our when our computer guy who came over to fix something on our computer gave me a copy of Dark Forces, and I got to show my friends a new Star Wars game, and and you, you, in the first couple of levels you steal the Death Star plans. It was just like mind blowing, and looking at it now, I realize it's basically a Wolfenstein clone wearing Star Wars clothes. But it still it holds a really sweet spot in my heart because of of how many times I played it and the the sort of group cachet I got from it. <laughs> I feel like that's not something the developers originally intended. No, and they not. <laughs> But I hear you. Yeah, it was it was like Doom One, but wearing Star Wars clothes. But but it wasn't just a reskin, right? Like they added like a Star Wars plot. They had an animated Star Wars story. This was the the Dark Troopers, yeah, the, the robot stormtroopers, and they had characters and like they, they they they. It was a whole original thing. It just used that like what you'd call nowadays. You'd say they used the same game engine, but yeah. it was one of those sort of pre mouse first person shooters, and and it was. I remember the controls being really hard to get a handle on, especially looking back at it now. You know, you wouldn't necessarily aim at the the bad guys on the screen, but your gun would jump in their direction when you went to shoot because it was too hard to be precise with the, the uh, just a keyboard. Um, and it, I remember it having a pretty intricate plot. You know, you do steal the Death Star plans in the first couple of missions, and, and then the rest of the game is completely different. You you learn about these death troopers that the Empire is creating, and you have to save General Crix Maydine, and there's all these... It's just... Po- go ahead. Point of order, there is a distinction between dark troopers and death troopers. Sorry. Just, <laughs> I, I'm totally cool with it. I just know that people on the internet are going to be you know, up your butt about it. Just, so, yeah, so these are the dark troopers. Right. Ones. The Death Troopers, are they the zombie ones? They are both the zombie ones and the sort of like the all-black super commando ones that protect Orson Krennic and Grand Admiral Thrawn. Right, well, right. And and that's the thing. There's so many intricate details in this that are completely negated by later stuff. And that's fine. It really feels like every Star Wars game has its own continuity. Like, they share the movies, but beyond that, they, they barely talk to each other unless they're in the same franchise. And so that's fine. I've gotten used to it. But it's so weird reading about how Kyle Katarn and the Moldy Crow got the Death Star plans for the Rebels when there's a whole movie now that explains how the the Death Star plans were were taken and and brought to the... And no Kyle Katarn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Kyle Katarn was a big Star Wars character for us back in the days, and Dark Forces is where he got his start. Yeah, and it's, it's also sort of refreshing... And we'll get into this later, I'm sure. But it's refreshing how he doesn't have force powers. He's more like a Han Solo. You run around, you shoot at stuff, and the the idea is getting the better guns to to complete the missions. There's no force powers at all in it, and so much of Star Wars going forward has been about using about Jedi's and Force and Sith and all that, and that's fine, and that makes sense, and there's a lot of cool stuff in there, but it's always nice to get back in touch with what feels like the gritty roots of Star Wars, where it's just people, hard scrabble people trying to get by. That's a good point, I hadn't considered that. Yeah, okay, fair. 
So yeah, so that's Dark Forces. It just it, it holds a special place, such a special place that uh, when the pandemic started, I know we are supposed to avoid talking about it, but when it started, one of the first things I did was try to get Dark Forces working on my computer, and it just would not go properly, which is disappointing. And I, I'm sure there are workarounds for it, but I also don't think it's worth my time trying to get those workarounds to work. It's probably not. That's that's an old one. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, looking back at it compared to modern graphics, it's almost hard to figure out what's going on on the screen because everything's so pixelated and and two-dimensional. <laughs> Still, fun memories. Yes. All right, what's your number four? My number four uh, is Star Wars Empire at War. Uh, so we're fast-forwarding to 2006 now, so not a nostalgia thing. I genuinely like this game a whole lot. Um 2006 Empire at War uh, is a real-time strategy game. It's an RTS. It's Command and Conquer, StarCraft, that kind of top-down. You don't control one person, but you build and control an army. Uh, made by Petroglyph Games and published by LucasArts. Uh, boy, remember LucasArts? Yeah. It, um... Empire at War is cool. It's this, like, that kind of strategy genre, the, the Warcrafts, the Command and Conquers. There never was a real great Star Wars version of it, which was a shame because Star Wars puts a lot of attention to, to detail in their ships and technologies and how things work and what's effective and what's not against different targets, that kind of thing. It's all there, and it lends itself to something like this, and it never really came around. Uh, and now, to be 100% honest, I mean, the reason it's at number four on my list, there still isn't a great real-time strategy game. Empire at War is good. It's not awesome. It's sort of a combo of an RTS and a 4X game, which are games like Sid Meier's Civilization, in that like, uh, like one mission, quote-unquote, doesn't take place on one map. It's more that you're, you have a, a galactic map and you have certain objectives and you develop a tech tree and you marshal your resources and then when conflicts start, it zooms into a small map to quickly handle the, the battle situation. And there were two major different elements of this game. There was the ground combat and the space combat. And I'll tell you right now, the ground combat was just terrible. It was just poorly designed. It was poorly implemented. It, what little base building? How is this is, in your top four? <laughs> this I'm is getting the most there. underwhelming review. <laughs> I'm getting there. The the all the base building elements of it like didn't really factor into the units you have. Like they were sort of prepared beforehand. And so a lot of times, like you know, you'd call your shuttle and bring down your stormtroopers, and whoops, they got eaten by a rancor, and now you're done. And it was kind of annoying. The space battle in this game is clearly where the developers all focused all of their time because it is amazing. It's heavily asymmetrical combat. You have three factions. you got the Rebellion, the Empire, and the completely original for this game, Zon Consortium, which is supposed to represent the criminal underworld of Star Wars, and so it's all the bounty hunters and smugglers, and, and deeping really digging really deep into legends, like characters like Talon Card and IG-88 and Boss so, Girl. So is the, all that stuff. the Zon Consortium, is that a tip of the hat to Timothy Zahn? It is absolutely a tip of the hat to Timothy Zahn. Uh, like the feature, like the the, the the main character, like the you know the job of the hut of the Zahn consortium is Tiber Zahn. Like it's mm. 
definitely a, a, I think they hit him. But the the space combat for this, like everyone plays a little different. Like for the rebellion, you're building squadrons of fighters and sort of their light capital ships. You know, their frigates and stuff, and you're doing heavy micro. Um, lots of movement with the mouse, lots of precision timing, lots of like X-Wings go here now, and Y-Wings get ready, wait for it, wait for it, okay now, go in and hit the shields, that sort of thing. Or you're playing as the Empire, where you build these huge capital ships, these dreadnoughts and star destroyers, and you slowly lumber them into position while micromanaging your TIE fighters just to sort of, you know, keep their subsystems and stuff clear until you can drift in for a big star destroyer broadside. And it was basically a vehicle for... I mean, listen, it had a story, it had objectives, it had gameplay, it was fun. But it was basic... Like, what was the best part of this game was designing these really cool space battles for you to watch, right? It sounds pretty unique. Like, I, I can't think of a game to compare it to. You know, some of the other games we've had have just been Star Wars skins on other stuff. But this yeah. sounds like its own thing. It was absolutely its own thing. It was a, it was a, it was. They were trying to do something new by building a hybrid of these two genres, um, and it was, and it was good. It, you know, it's not my number one, but it was good. But just the highlight was just, you know, the only reason you like, Imperial Star Destroyers are great, but the reason you want them is so you can see them swoop in and just blast everything away, and. The final, like, nail in the coffin of that argument is that there's a cinematic mode where once you've set up your space battle to happen the way you want, you press, I think it's the Z key, and it takes away all the HUD elements, like, it takes away all the gameplay elements, you can't really control it anymore, and then just, like, pans a camera around. And they went to the effort of, like, if there's a particularly intense battle happening somewhere, the camera will move over there, and, like, maybe it'll follow a ship, like a fighter, as it's weaving back and forth, if it looks like it's doing something interesting hmm. um, a couple of times you see the shot where the camera is locked and a capital ship flies from the top of the screen down into the foreground like the star destroyer at the start of a new hope like cool. it, it, it was a vehicle for designing your like ideal star wars fleet and then watching them all shoot lasers at each other and it's a blast um it does have that flawed ground element unfortunately um, but it, it's still there, and the game is still... I mean, it's like you said, it's 14 years old, but it's still kind of popular in the modding community, in the fan-made components community who have designed entire like new ships and new ways to rebalance the game and new ways to keep it interesting. A lot of those mods just have the ground battles happen like automatically based on die rolls, essentially, <laughs> so you can focus on the space stuff. Uh, but it's a really cool way to get like to that really cool part of Star Wars, and uh, it's still av- still available and still worth checking out. Okay, great. That sounds cool. So now we'll go to number three, and for me, this is where the list uh, veers pretty hard into Force powers. I'm going to go with uh, Jedi Knight, and in fact, it's Dark Forces 2 Jedi Knight. And you were just saying you liked how Dark Forces didn't have any Force powers. Yep. (laughs) Uh, So, let me just ask you this before we get started. Do you have Jedi Knight on your list? I don't. Okay, so this is another nostalgia pick for me. It came out in 1997, and I, I, I think Dark Forces may have been more important to me, but I feel like I played this one more. And, and it was very cool getting a lightsaber and getting force powers and being able to use those in still a very 
familiar first-person shooter sort of setting. Uh, it was... It felt groundbreaking at the time. Looking at the graphics again uh, <laughs> in researching this, wow, it does not look great. But like you said, with the full motion video for the for Rebel Assault 2, Dark Forces 1 just had... Um, just had animated cutscenes with these very blocky characters. They, they looked yeah. like Minecraft characters. Animated was generous. You know, it, yeah. was, it was still images with an animated jaw. Right. And then for for Jedi Knight, they they got actors, and they mostly are just working in front of green screens, and, and the everything looks like like worse than Roger Rabbit in that they're just humans in a very cartoon world. But it felt more prestigious playing it. It felt like, wow, they put time and effort, and there's real people doing the acting for this to make the story real. And uh, it was cool. It also had a bit of a branching storyline where you could choose to be a, a a Jedi or a Sith. You got different powers. You could run really fast. You could jump really high. And one of the other groundbreaking things of it, something I didn't really take advantage of, but I was always curious about, was the multiplayer. And that was something that felt very new in 1997, especially for a first-person shooter. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not. I'm not a gamer historian or anything. I'm sure there were other examples before that. But for me, yeah, Quake would have been the big one. But yeah, right. that was only ahead of it by a few years. It still it felt very cool, especially since it was, you could have lightsaber battles, and that that has to be unique, right? Like multiplayer sword fighting. Yeah, that at least the way that they did it, certainly that hadn't been done before. Um, very movement based. A lot of like you would swing differently depending on what your character was doing. Yes. So charge forward and attack would be like sort of an overhead thing, whereas just standing still would be more of a conservative movement. Um, and there's a lot of rock paper scissors to how the lightsaber fights worked <laughs> until someone switched to a rocket launcher. But, right. You know. And then uh, another thing that that stands out in my memory about it, even though I didn't really do much with them, is it released expansion packs, which also felt... I think that that feels like it was very new at the time. I'm sure there are other examples of, of that. But now we would call it DLC. But uh, expansion packs were new stories or things that would get attached to the game that would continue the story. You'd buy them separately, and they would be a continuation of the story or just using it's not a full sequel it's just a little bit more and one of the things they did in that was they they made there were some levels where you could play as Mara Jade an important character from the expanded universe from the Timothy Zahn novels and uh, you go through Back Jabba's before Palace. the Disney reset she ended up marrying Luke Skywalker right right it's, it's a Disney. big deal yeah, very important character in all that expanded universe back when we didn't think there would be any any continuation to the Star Wars stories. We thought these were the continuation of the Star Wars stories and uh, how wrong we were. <laughs> and, and in some ways it's good and in some ways it's bad, but yeah. you know, it's, yeah. They exist separately simultaneously, and that's yeah. okay. Yeah, totally okay. Uh, but yeah, it was a, a great game, and um, it spawned a bunch of sequels, but this was ended up being the last one that I played. I, I mean, I, I think I may have tried some of the other ones. Uh, the... I always loved the idea that this was Dark Forces 2, Jedi Knight, and then after this, it was Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast, and yeah. and it felt like a hilarious naming convention where I insisted on calling that one Dark Forces 3, Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast. 
Uh, and, but I, how much deeper did the franchise go? There was like a Jedi Academy after Outcast, or was that an after expansion Outcast? Pack? There's Jedi Academy, and then it's that's pretty much the end of that run. Yeah, it still it feels it feels like separate characters to me. Like the Kyle Katarn from Dark Forces versus the Kyle Katarn that goes forward from Jedi Knight. Because to me, the Dark Forces guy doesn't have Force powers and and doesn't need them and shouldn't have them. But it's fine. There, it's still a great game, and I. I have this one specific memory of showing the game to my grandmother and her being very bored, but me insisting on explaining every Star Wars nuance to her. <laughs> I notice a lot of your list is building up just like, like what you're saying is these are the top five moments from my childhood. Yeah, it kind uh, of is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is that more or less embarrassing than me when I'm saying, no, no, this is actually important today, right now? <laughs> <laughs> we'll let the audience decide. Fair enough. So what's your number three? My number three is Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, uh, which, to my point, I think is very important, even right (laughs) now. Knights of the Old Republic is a role-playing game set in the Star Wars universe. Uh, This this came out in 2003. Um, This was the game that immediately precedes... if If you're a gamer, you've heard of Dragon Age and Mass Effect. Um, the kind of the role playing games heavily character driven and heavily based like on player choice and input that that all got started here in the Star Wars license with Knights of the Old Republic. Um, it takes place four thousand years before the movies, so it gives itself a a nice prequel, prequel, prequel sort of time jump, so that they can tell stories in that world, but with completely outside having to worry about what happens if they run into Han Solo or something like that. And they told a really cool, compelling story um, with a with a very famous twist that I'm going to spoil on this podcast. But so <laughs> just prepare yourself. Just prepare yourself. It's a 17 year old game. Um, now this pulls like this is a role playing game in the most traditional sense. Like a lot of the underlying mechanics of this game are basically pulled from Dungeons and Dragons handbooks. Like the like when you attack, it, it, it rolls your like your attack stat versus the enemy's defense stat, and by roll I mean literally it like it generates a random number between one and twenty, and adds those numbers together to figure out if it works or not. Like it works very much based like the tabletop role playing games, and I say Dungeons and Dragons, but there is actually a Star Wars tabletop role playing game that you really haven't heard of because I mean listen I hear you Star Wars fans, but it really wasn't that good. But it was also heavily borrowed from what's now Wizards of the Coast to make that system work. Um, so it was fun enough to play in the way that classic role-playing games are. Like, it's very turn-based. But a lot of it was about dialogue and about choice. It was, here's a situation, here's what's happening. Like, someone will say something to you, and you get to pick from a choice of, like, five different things. How do you answer? Do you answer, like, very positively? Do you answer helpfully? Do you answer neutrally? Do you answer sort of negatively? Or do you answer aggressively? And then depending on what you picked, their answer will change, and that might change the situation. And it could snowball up into you know, which side of something are you fighting on, or like who comes out on top at the end. And, and because it's Star Wars, very obviously, this is leaning towards a light side or dark side situation. And you know, setting the stage for like a lot of these Star Wars games, it had a light side and dark side ending, depending on how you wanted to play. Yeah, and it's a fairly binary choice in that one. It's It's like... Isn't there a a Penny Arcade comic for for these sorts of games where it's like, here are your choices, 
uh, buy an ice cream with someone or set a bus full of orphaned kittens on fire. And it's like yeah, it's, very it, clearly which one is the good side and the, which one is the bad side. It's It's been done worse, but yeah, Star Wars doesn't play with shades of gray very often. <laughs> it's it's very much there are good guys and there are up until the sequel movies anyway. There are good guys and there are bad guys and, you know, and never the two shall meet. Uh, so I'm talking about this 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 story and the thing like this story just in summary like really really fast. So you start this game, you create your own custom character. Um, you get you get to pick from three character classes: a scout, a soldier, or a scoundrel. Essentially, saying like a fast and sneaky guy, or like a heavy shooty guy, or like a smuggler, like tricking people guy. Um, and your character is a soldier in the old, old, old Republic who's at war with the Sith Empire. Uh, at this point in history, like, they have the two, like, you know, there's always two Sith. It's Darth Revan and Darth Malak. And the Republic has just defeated Darth Revan, but now his apprentice Darth Malak has taken over and the war is still going. And you're a hapless Republic soldier caught up in all of it. And you meet a cast of crazy Star Wars characters. You meet, you know, a former slave girl and her Wookiee friend. You meet a Republic pilot. You meet, like, this, my my favorite Star Wars character of all time, who's basically an assassin droid pretending to be a protocol droid, <laughs> but who's really gotten tired of the pretending part and doesn't really care anymore. Seriously, YouTube HK47, best of. He's, he's a riot. Um, but, of course, because it's Star Wars, they find out that your character is starting to you know, develop force powers. And specifically, you're seeing these force visions of Revan and Malak. And the Jedi are super interested in that because they're going to train you up to be a Jedi Knight. And maybe you can uncover the mysteries of how Revan and Malak became so powerful. And you, you journey across the Star Wars galaxy gathering clues and developing your relationships with the characters and making choices that affect the state of the war until you finally come face to face with Malak who tells you like idiot those aren't force visions that's insane why would you be having force visions those are memories and it goes into the like the flashbacks of these visions you've been having of Revan and Malak until Revan takes off his mask and it's you it's the character you created under there you were Darth Revan all along dun 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 yeah, what actually happened is that the Jedi like you know managed to save you after defeating you, and they've wiped your mind with the Force, and they're using you to try and figure out how to beat Malak. And now you have a choice to make because I mean you can't trust the Jedi, obviously. But like, maybe you're like, are you going to become Darth Revan again, or is there something else to do? You don't know. Very cool. Like that was something that hadn't really been done before up to this point you know the jedi knight game dark forces 2 it's like yeah kyle katar and like you're gonna become a jedi do you kill this person or do you spare their life light side or dark side right in this case it's kind of hard to tell i mean of course like you know if you want the light side ending because you side with the jedi anyway and you get over your dark past and make up for your sins and stuff but it was a really cool thing like a trick to play on the player and put you in the position of living in this world and it was a fun enough game to play while presenting this cool story and interactions that I really I really got into it. I really love that game, and I replay it occasionally a lot. Wow. Well, I, I, let's just combine this with my number two, which is Knights of the Old Republic 2, which is uh, I, I, it's the same basic setup with a different story, but very similar gameplay, uh, just, just slightly more advanced. And I know... It's un the original game was kind of unfinished, but there is a patch that makes it finished. And 
I, I maybe I have sort of mixed them in my head. They came out pretty soon after each other, right? Knights of the Old Republic 2 came out in 2004. So maybe I've got them sort of meshed in my head a little bit, but the advances in that second one made it a little bit more memorable for me. I actually bought it, uh, again, another pandemic purchase, and I, I've been playing it off and on for a bit. And again, it's the, the storytelling of it that gets it so high on the list for me. And, and replaying it, I it was I could really see the breadcrumbs that led to Mass Effect, which is probably my favorite game franchise ever. And and oh, it's easily, yeah. The team who developed it, that yeah, that what they set in stone there has now blossomed into games like Mass Effect and all its imitators. Yeah, and one of the the things about it that I, I think is lost in some other RPGs where you can you so so with RPGs you usually have your main character and then you can take a couple of other people with you and you sort of cycle through them depending who's useful but in a lot of games in order to make it easier for everyone and and I understand why it exists but everyone gets experience points at the same rate but this is a game where only the characters that come with you get experience points so you're more incentivized to switch around your team and learn about them and and go on missions with them and and get used to them and and find out more about their story it's no one gets left behind you always figure out something about your your team and it's there's a lot of options for who can join your team and uh you can even get hk 47 back it's uh i i really enjoy it does does it end up on your list it doesn't end up on my list i mean i i also sort of feel like it's a companion piece like knights of the old republic and knights of the old republic 2 sort of fit together right uh but i do think the original let's like we can shorten it the common parlance is kotor for knights of the old republic i think the original kotor was a it was a was a better game um kotor 2 did some more interesting things and had a lot more complicated story. I mentioned Star Wars doesn't go into gray very often. That one for sure does with the character of Kreia. Um, but like you mentioned, it was really a mess when the game came out. And the patching that's gone into it to bring it essentially up to the bar you would normally hold for a game to, to be playable. I mean, like that was partially done by fans. Like Some of the original developers were involved, but... Like, that wasn't an official company release. That's people who loved the game so much that they went into it and tried to restore a lot of missing content. Or Like, at the original release, it was buggy and sloppy and didn't make a lot of sense. I mean, I don't want to... I don't want to pull the rug out from your, no, your number fine. two. But, I mean, KOTOR was polished as heck, and this one was not. And that that sticks with me. Very fair. Uh, yeah, it's I considered both of them, um, but went with with this one simply because it was uh, uh, the newer one out of the two of them. So the slight enhancements to to graphics and things like that. Um, Very slight. Right. <laughs> but I, I also think one of the things that ha- this game has going for it and, and also continued into the Mass Effect ones was how your force powers are used and the different things you can do with your lightsabers. It really feels like everyone's experience playing the game can be different, and and that just goes to the nth degree in the Mass Effect games. So I, I really like seeing this as a proto-Mass Effect. But, yeah, maybe in retrospect, I ranked it too high. Maybe it could be lower, but it does... Uh, I. I do have very fond memories of it, probably enhanced by the first game and by what came later. What's your yeah, number nice. two? 
Uh, my number two, uh, getting off of the role-playing bit, my number two is Star Wars Rogue Squadron 2, Rogue Leader, um, which still blows me away to this day how crazy perfect this game was. This game came out in 2001 as a launch title for the Nintendo GameCube, of all things. Mm. Like, it's not what you it's not what you normally is. Like you figure like a game, a Nintendo console launches, it would have a Mario game, maybe a Zelda game and like a cooking game or something, right? <laughs> no, this one launched with a Star Wars game, a Star Wars Starfighter game. And it was great. It was it, it was shocking how much effort went into making this game. Um, it's, it was made by a studio called Factor Five and published by LucasArts. It um, it's basically a fly the fly the fighter sort of arcade experience game that spans the the classic three trilogy movies and fills in some time in between. You play brief like you play briefly as Luke Skywalker and like the game's tutorial takes place at the Battle of Yavin with the first Death Star. But very quickly you switch over to Wedge Antilles and you as like the ro- the, the rogue leader, the leader of nice. Rogue Squadron. And like voiced by Dennis Lawson, the original Reg Antilles, who they brought back to record lines. Like they went to that much effort for this game. Cool. And they and they made a really cool, really fun Starfighter experience. There's 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 something like ten levels that all have like the, your basic Star Wars objectives, you know, fly in, like blow up all the Tie Fighters in time to save the ship so it can get away, or like come in in a bomber and blow up these targets, but use your ion cannons to short out the turrets or whatever. Nothing too, too fancy, but they made it fast paced and interesting. Which, hmm, put it this way, it's fast paced as opposed to simulator games. Um, where like you're not managing power levels here, really. You're not, you know, like, checking your radar. Like like you're, you're weaving and diving with the you're weaving and diving with the joystick and you know, pulling the trigger and shooting lasers at things. Um, but they set it up so that like the, the missions are just tiered and interesting. There's, there's there's one I always remember that it's you're you're trying to rescue this rebel corvette and it's been sucked into a star destroyer like at the start of a new hope. And so one whole mission is just attacking that Star Destroyer, but the Star Destroyer ends up crashing on a planet. So the next level is you go down to the planet and you have to escort like a commando team to get in there and get the, you know, the crew and the equipment from the Corvette out. And you start in a Y-Wing and you're bombing the Star Destroyer to make a hole in it. But then some Imperial Walkers show up, so you switch to a, like a speeder, like the Snow Speeders in Empire. And now you're doing the, you know, the fly around them in a circle with the tow cable game. And then you switch to a different ship to shoot at the TIE Fighters and like... Like, they gave you a lot of different things to do in each mission. Like, they kept switching it up, which was a lot of fun. And then at the end, you get your score. And they had a medal system in this game where depending you know, depending on like, your number of kills, your completion time, your, how accurate you were, how many friendly craft you saved, you could get a bronze, silver, or gold medal. And the more medals you got, the more content in the game you would unlock. New levels and new bonus ships and new stuff to do. So they kept you coming back. Hmm. And just like they, they, they managed to combine that sort of arcadey score climbing fun of Star Fox with the intricate sort of technical detail and world immersion of Star Wars. And for whatever reason, they made it a launch title for a Nintendo console. Like it's, it's not where I typically would think to go to play a Star Wars game, but man, did I wear a GameCube into the ground! <laughs> Just playing this thing forever. I kind of, I, I had forgotten about it, but hearing you talk about it really brought back some memories. I think it's a game that, I feel like I never owned it, but I may have rented it a bunch 
which was, you know, a thing you could do back in 2000, <laughs> whatever, 2001. Yeah. But it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, and and it had the variety did really stand out. It, yeah, it does have all of these games, especially the Starfighter ones. There are certain things that have to happen. You have to do the Battle of Hoth. There has to be a Death Star. There has to be Star Destroyers. But it did it really well, and it felt like a new experience or at least a, a, it was done especially well because they've all been done poorly at various times so it's always nice to get a really good one yeah every they did everything right this, this was the first game that made the battle of endor you know like the the ultimate space battle in return of the jedi which is supposed to be basically every ship like that they just didn't have the processing power to do that in video games until now. And they, and I mean, the Nintendo GameCube wasn't exactly a powerhouse back in the day. They used a few tricks to make it work, but it made you feel like you were surrounded by hundreds of ships, and like the music is blaring, and like just it, it made you feel like you were there in a way that earlier Star Wars games just couldn't do because of technical limitations. And I just I. I, I would like some days I'd be like yeah I just want to play some of the X-Wing levels that would be fine or I'd think like I've got an hour to kill I'll go do that bombing run it just it offered a lot to do and it never got old so good game there's a there was a sequel right and did you ever play that one I mean, that one is a sequel. That's Rogue Squadron 2, Rogue Leader. There is a Rogue Squadron 3, uh, Rebel Strike. Right. Which I didn't like as much. I don't think it was as strong as a game. It was definitely retreading old ground. Mm. And they I, they added, like, play as a pilot, like, like play as a dude on the ground with a gun, which just it wasn't nearly as good as the Starfighter stuff. Um, it did add where you could play any of the Rogue Squadron 2 missions but in co-op. But the way they balanced it is they basically just, like, doubled the number of enemies and doubled all their health, and it made it a really unbalanced, unpleasant experience to play. It was—it definitely didn't—it did not hold up to to Rogue Squadron 2. I think Rogue Leader is definitely the star of that franchise, of Uh that particular thread of them. Nice. Also, just before we move on, just worth to note that this also continued a tradition that the the Rogue Squadron games have had for no reason. Starting with the first Rogue Squadron game, the ultimate, like, last thing you could unlock, the final hidden ship, for whatever reason, was a flying, playable model of a 1969 Buick Electra. (laughs) Apparently based on a car owned by the game's sound designer. They thought it would be funny to put it in there, and then they just kept doing it. (laughs) <laughs> and so get and so getting to the point where you could fly that Buick through space like it was just a weird thing but worth mentioning it's worth it was a lark. <laughs> okay, so my number 1 is Star Wars The Force Unleashed. Really? Yeah. Wow. I okay. Was, I was going through the the list honestly up until we started recording I was going back and forth on where the various games should end up on the list. And I kept coming back to the... I think The Force Unleashed ended up... When I started my list, was pretty low. But the more I was thinking about it, the higher it went on the list. There are just so many good things about it. And I know there's there's that new game that's out whose name escapes me. It came out uh, earlier this year, didn't it? The new oh, Fallen Order? Fallen Order, yeah. And I think yeah. it's it's treads sort of similar ground and probably to... I, I'll tell you now, Force Unleashed was better. Okay, wow. Yep. So Force Force Unleashed ended up on my list because there's there's it's it's a fairly typical at this point game where you're a Jedi or an evil you know a gray force character and you're trying to 
as the game goes on, you're, it's not clear whether you're going to be completely evil or completely good. But the thing that sets it apart is how destructive and powerful your force powers are. And it was so much fun going through levels and using your force powers to pull a TIE fighter off the wall and throw it at a bunch of stormtroopers or, or pick up a stormtrooper and throw him out an airlock. And it. Yeah, it's worth mentioning. Like, this game. Sorry to cut you off, no, but like, just to make, sh- make clear the distinction. Like, you could always push a stormtrooper with a force. Yeah. But this game had these overlapping physics engines that tried to create, like, a really realistic environment. So, like, everything had a weight to it, everything had a mass, and, ev- like, so much of it could be interacted with with the Force that, like, yeah, you like it, it wasn't just press the button and the Stormtrooper falls down. It was, like, you could pick him up, you could make him move at whatever speed you wanted, at whatever direction you wanted, whatever. Like, you could make horrible things happen to those <laughs> poor people. Like, yeah. They put a lot of effort into it. And, and beyond that, like, that... I, there's so many things I want to say about it. Like the, the the first level, the tutorial level, the thing that the first thing you play, you play as Darth Vader and you're just annihilating a bunch of Wookiees, which sounds terrible. But in this, <laughs> this physics engine world, it was a lot of fun and it gives you a taste of what a fully powered Jedi character, force using character could do. And then the rest of the levels after that, you're not quite that powerful and you're building your way up. So you get this taste of what it's like and then you're like, I gotta keep going till I can get to that power level. There's also a lot of sort of cosmetic customization you can do to the character and to your lightsaber. There's... there's the, the thing that sold the game, I think, was in a trailer you could see your character pulling a Star Destroyer out of the sky and crashing it into the sand. And I remember playing the game just being like, I gotta get to that level, I gotta get to that <laughs> level. Because it was so impressive to look at. And it, it the actual mechanics of doing it, I remember being slightly frustrating, but it was still very impressive when you actually pull it to the ground. Yeah, super empowering. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they definitely took the Force, like, the Force unleashed, they mean that very literally, like, the Force does not work that way in any other Star Wars product. Like, you, like it is routine to use the Force to push people, like, through walls and out into space and stuff. Like, they, they, they cranked it up for dramatic effect. Yeah, and I would but, hate it in the movies, and I hated how overpowered the Force became as the movies went on, but to actually play with that overpowered version of the force was a lot of fun. It, it, it felt like blast. having the cheat codes on uh, from from the get-go. And, and that's not to say the game was easy. It was definitely difficult, and there were certain specific things that you had to do at times, and it was easy to get overwhelmed by the stormtroopers swarming you, but it was a lot of fun. And it also had a cool story where you're Darth Vader's secret apprentice, and you have to... He's got you in his pocket to help he wants you to help him bring down the emperor so that you two can become the new leaders of the galaxy and it was just a really cool idea and it end up, ends up leading to the creation of the rebel alliance and all of it means nothing now with the disney acquisition <laughs> of star wars but like well, canonically said, it means nothing but it's still a good story you still yeah. enjoyed it also worth noting, we haven't mentioned that that the 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 Darth Vader's secret apprentice, the star character, played like both voiced and animated, modeled after Sam Witwer. Um, he's like become the Star Wars guy. He's the Star Wars guy. He plays Darth Maul and everything now, and it does um, the voice was... of Palpatine whenever Ian McDermott does it. He in 
you would not expect that this is the same guy. Like, he's, he's, he does not look like Emperor Palpatine, but he does the voice perfectly. He does a lot of voices really well. That is a talented guy, and he's known IR in real life for being, like, like, he's a passionate Star Wars fan, and it shows. He's got a lot to say about it, and, it, like, it, he's, it, it feels valuable to him, and that's really important. Yeah, it, it's very cool that he got into it this way, and, and Darth Maul was a character that, we're definitely getting way off topic, but I just want to finish this thought. Darth Maul was a character who had a cool look in Phantom Menace and ended up being kind of disappointing because he was essentially mute and then gets cut in half. And as they developed him in the cartoons, he becomes this very interesting character and Sam Witwer does his voice and it is an amazing voice. I I, I haven't seen the per- it. Even the performance yeah. is, is unbelievable. Yeah, it's so strong. So much variety in it. it. He really is head and shoulders above the rest of the cast in those things, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and having him playing the lead character in this game, that get, that like that's a lot of gold in its corner, right? Like He yeah. sells a lot of it. Now, there was also a sequel to this that I don't think I ended up playing and didn't get very good reviews. Do you have any... Uh... I, I did play it. It was not very good. It was retreading old ground. The The only thing in Force Unleashed 2 worth mentioning is that the, the same way in Force Unleashed 1, like there were skins and cosmetic changes, you could do that in Force Unleashed 2, and one of them was basically an Admiral Akbar suit. <laughs> so you could have Admiral Akbar with a lightsaber, except that it was modeled like it was actually a suit. Like the character's head would be in the mouth, like looking out the flap. <laughs> That's amazing. And it was it was hilarious to see this ad this guy in an Admiral Akbar suit in a lightsaber duel with Darth Vader. Like <laughs> that was almost worth the price of admission. But the rest of it, no. The original Force Unleashed was great. The uh, the 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 follow up, not so much. Okay, what do you have as your number one? My number one, ironically, more akin to earlier on your list, tying into the nostalgia a little, my number one was the TIE Fighter Collector CD, or as it's known today, TIE Fighter Special Edition, uh, released in July of 1994. Um, Called the Collector CD because it was was released on CD-ROM, this new optical disc technology, and it collected the campaigns of the original TIE Fighter and its two expansion packs, Defender of the Empire and Enemies of the Empire, and with all that new space available on this CD-ROM technology, it enhanced the graphics up to a blistering 640 by 480. (laughs) TIE Fighter is a spaceship simulator. You're sitting in the ship, you're looking out the viewport, you're flying the ship, and... It's not, it's a simulation versus arcade in the sense that, like, Rogue Leader is an arcade game, and that the way you control the ship is you, you, know, you move the stick up and down and you press the shoot button. In simulator games, it's more complicated. In TIE Fighter, you're, like, you're, you have a certain amount of power that you have to allocate between your engines and your lasers and any other weapons, and eventually shields, depending on what you're flying, and you're constantly managing that. And you have multiple things to take care of. It's not just shoot down the enemy. It might be you need to scan ships to find which one secretly has the rebels aboard, and then you need to protect the boarding craft as they get in, and then you need to you know, keep an eye on your wingmen and break them up and assign them to do different things things to cover different parts of the battlefield. It's much more immersive and much more complicated. But at the end of the day, what it was is that you were flying a TIE fighter for the Empire, and it was so cool. Um, The game on CD-ROM, at least, was fully voiced, which was a huge help, but essentially the mechanic was there were 13 campaigns 
made up of like something like four to eight missions each. Um, and so one of them would be like I think the first one it's, it's it takes place after Empire Strikes Back and it's you're hunting down the rebels who are fleeing from Hoth. So the first mission is like doing patrol at a checkpoint and scanning ships and oh it turns out there's some rebels on this one and then you dogfight some Y wings. But then the next mission is following them back to where they came from and then identifying the location of the rebel base and the mission after that is wearing down its defenses. It sort of it iterates over the course of these tours of duties so that you fly these subsequent missions that tell a story right and having that story being you know fully voiced and acted to you made it like a really cool star wars experience that was mated with this really interesting game and it climaxed at the i said there's 13 of these campaigns on the cd the the end of the original before the expansions there was seven and the end of the seventh campaign it's the emperor's in danger there's an imperial traitor and darth vader has personally selected you to join his squad of super badasses we're going to save the emperor and in 1994, you know, when I was nine years old, when Darth Vader selected me to be on his squad, and then you know, when you're playing the missions, like they have a deal, like a guy talking like this, giving, <laughs> giving you orders. <sighs> like it blew my mind. It was amazing. So there's there's another there's the X-wing game as well, and then X-wing versus Tie Fighter that came after. What what set yeah, and X. And X-Wing Alliance after that. Yeah, TIE Fighter, I think, sets it off. X-Wing came first. It came out in 1993, and it was rougher. It was their first attempt. It wasn't... I feel like it wasn't quite there yet. Um, A lot of the missions were kind of repetitive. There wasn't as much to do. Uh, There wasn't... Frankly, there wasn't as much dialogue and story, which is a big part of important things for me. It's more simplistic. TIE Fighter is like their their follow-up, where they took that concept... They had proven that it worked, and now they were going to run with it and do something really cool. It, TIE Fighter is the Mass Effect to X-Wings Knights of the Old Republic, right. <laughs> to put it in the most confusing analogy possible. <laughs> um, I played the bejeepers out of that game a hundred times, because there's always something that you, you could miss, there's always something interesting, and the complexities of the gameplay mean that it's it's not the kind of thing, like, I'll just sit down and play it for ten minutes. Like, it's an investment in time, but it means that it goes differently every single time. And it told a really cool Star Wars experience, and honestly, back then, it was like for the first time from the other side, what it was like being on the side of the Galactic Empire. And not like they do it in games nowadays, where it's like, you're an Imperial Stormtrooper for a mission and a half before you realize what you're doing is wrong and defect. It's No, like, there's a, at this point, you are a pilot for the government who is trying to establish order over a lawless galaxy. Like it's yeah. and they and they stick to it and tell a really compelling story that way. It ends the the debriefing of the last mission in the whole game is okay. We finished our thing and you know, we've done what we need to do and we're gonna we're gonna regroup with the rest of the Imperial fleet after their vic- like they're at the Battle of Endor now. We're waiting to hear the victory. The rebellion's been crushed forever and everything's going to be fine. <laughs> and it's just this heartbreaking like oh, what. <laughs> well, it's the reason it's number one on my list. I mean, that's how the game is. The reason it's number one, partly because of that nostalgia, but also because the Starfighter sim game like, is it's a franchise. It's it's a style of gameplay that sort of died out recently because basically it requires a keyboard because you need to be doing a lot of different things. You know, like, you need a lot of different buttons, right? And it just people sort of lost interest. It, it's a lot of investment for only so much return. 
they felt like you could get the same experience from those more arcadey games, but this was one of the best ones. And it's not just me saying it. Like, it won a ton of awards, both then and later on in life. Like, in the 2000s, it's still winning. Like, yeah, this was the best Starfighter sim of all time, for sure. Like, it was just the perfect storm, and it came out at the perfect time and had the perfect team behind it. Um, it is still worth playing today, even though those later games like X-Wing versus TIE Fighter and the Balance of Power campaigns and X-Wing Alliance came out later, they progressed the technology, but just the the perfect balance of the game you're playing, they've never quite hit that mark again, that TIE Fighter had. It was really neat. Very nice. So it was ended up being uh, quite the uh, quite the different <laughs> pair of lists. Yeah, that's like I, that's kind of what I thought. So complementary lists rather than dueling lists. That's ten Star Wars games for you. It might, maybe it's worth another look to to bash it down into a top five. I don't know, but they're all worth your consideration. You should take a look. And and there um, there were other ones that didn't make the list that I feel like we should mention, like Republic Commando or Shadows of the Empire. But I'm sure they would make other people's lists. Yeah, it's it's a it's, there there are a lot of Star Wars games, there are a lot of bad ones, but there are a lot of ones worth playing. And that brings us back full circle, I guess. The, the reason we we decided to do this list is because Star Wars Squadrons is out in October. Um it looks like it's going to be mostly online featured, but they they are saying that there is going to be a single player campaign that the modes are all going to be playable with bots, so they're not going to make the Battlefront mistake again, they're promising. It's a Starfighter-based game, a team game like, like Squad versus Squad, lots of different ships to pick from, um, and they're they're ramping up the hype machine now. So we are understandably nervous, I think, about another Star Wars game coming from Electronic Arts, uh, but it sounds like it has all the ingredients of a cake I'd love to eat. There are so many things about it that that are exciting, but there are also red flags. Like you said, it does seem very multiplayer heavy, which is not necessarily our favorite type of game, but it would be fun to be able to play with with our friends. It would just maybe versus bots instead of other people. I also think the low price point is a little alarming. I think they're saying it'll be $40 American on release, which which is great. But seems low for a game yeah, of this it, it caliber. Impl- it implies there's not a lot of meat in there. Yeah, right. If if you went to the grocery store and paid half price for a steak, you'd worry about what was wrong with that steak. So I'm sure we'll have more to say about it as we get closer to the release and pro- possibly even after the release. But we will see in October. Yeah, and if you love Star Wars games and you haven't checked this out, it's worth a Google. There is a there is a gameplay trailer, so a very staged gameplay, but gameplay of what the game will actually look like available you know, on all the on your YouTube's and your your just on the internet. You can find it probably faster than I can. It's worth a look. But until that comes out, those are the Star Wars games worth playing. Uh, as far as we know. Were there others that absolutely should have been on the list? Are you horrified that Republic Commando wasn't on there? Were you super into modding Jedi Outcast with all those fan-made bonus levels and you can't believe that we didn't put it on there? Or heck, that the the Sith Lord who was a Tyrannosaurus Rex? How could we miss that? <laughs> I gotta play this game. Yeah, that Dishon. Weird. Anyway, if that's bugging you, please reach out, let us know. We'd be happy to hear about what we what we missed. Graham, what is our contact info? Well, we're on Gmail, geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5. And we're on Twitter at geektop5. 
So let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And until then, thank you for listening. And also additional special thanks out to Jamie Ryu, the guy who made our theme song. Um, if you've got some spare time, please check his stuff out. Ryum is spelled R-E-A-U-M-E. You can find him on YouTube at Jamie Ryum Official or Instagram at Jamie underscore Ryum. He is also one of the brains behind TriviaShmivia.com, an online events company. Uh, you, you, you ever go to a bar and do the trivia night there? I mean, you can't now because it's a pandemic, but you can do it online at Zoom. They've got everything you need all set up. I've, I've taken a look at a couple of things that they've done. It's all a blast. Do a at once, like do it for a family thing or maybe a corporate event or even get involved in the league play. There's a whole thing to check out. It's it's definitely worth a look. TriviaShmivia.com That should keep you busy uh, at least for another week when we'll be back. But until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. And we'll talk to you again next week.